Welcome back to the In the Dugout podcast. My name is Jason Ward, aka Red Sox Dugout. I'm alongside Alex Jefferson and Garrett Jacobsmeyer. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Jefferson, and, and I'm Garrett Jacobsmeyer. And the Red Sox have been eliminated from playoff contention. Darn it! What a surprise. <laughs> That's right. The Red Sox are bad, but this episode is, and we have former big leaguer and former Red Sox pitcher Pat Light on the episode. Uh, yeah, we have a great interview with him coming later in the episode. But first. Let's talk about the Red Sox missing the playoffs. We kind of saw this coming, but when when it happened, when they really got eliminated, it kind of stung a little bit, especially that night I started going through all my posts from 2018. 2018 was a lot more fun than this year, I have to say. Yeah, no, I'm I'm sad. <laughs> I don't I don't want to I don't want to watch baseball anymore. Yeah, it's rough. Like we're not no, going to be in the playoffs. We play the Orioles at 3 o'clock on Sunday, and then the season's just over. Oh, That's it. No. Alex is pretty upset about it. I this. am upset about it. <laughs> it's a really weird vibe watching the Red Sox games now, knowing that they mean nothing. Like, they're, the lineups that they're putting out there, it's like spring training. Except you don't have that hope and anticipation of a new season starting soon. It's just sad. That was so original. Wow, I wish I could have seen that in one of your Red Sox dugout posts. I, I mean, if I put it in the caption, it means it's good, so I have to say it on the podcast, too. I'm just giving you the business. Um, yeah, no. And the sad thing is, like, they're still losing badly. Like, I turned on a Red Sox game, I actually watched a few innings, and then, boom, they give up a walk-off homer in extras. They lost to the Rays in extras twice in a row, and that just killed me inside. Yeah. It's tough for unmotivated teams to beat anyone. You know, when you sit there and you're like, well, what the heck am I playing for? My manager is putting in some kid that, you know, is only here to get a week of practice in. Yeah. What am I even playing for, you know? Like it's I said, it's win. just like spring training. They're tossing out all of these pitchers that don't belong on big league rosters because of September call-ups. Josh Smith, I don't like him at all. What about Josh Taylor? <laughs> Josh Taylor's good, but he shouldn't pitch again this season. They should save him for next season. But it, they're just not fun to watch. I've never watched less Red Sox games in a season since probably 2012, when Bobby Valentine was the manager. That says a lot right there. It's true. Yeah, that, mm, very, very similar vibes. And this season, I think, is even more disappointing than 2012 because yeah. of the expectations, because we thought we were going to be another 100-win team. We thought we had a great chance at repeating as World Series champions, and then we don't even make the playoffs yeah, at we, all. Yeah, we barely cracked 80 wins. Yeah. Like, we're barely going to finish over 500. <laughs> we we still might just finish at 500. If we lose every single game the rest of the season, we will finish at 500. And the whole season's been like this. It's been that disappointing wait, like the whole entire season. Since the first game of the whole entire season against the Mariners where we got beat, we kept waiting for the team to heat up. We kept waiting for them to click and bounce into that form they were in 2018. They just never did it. We kept waiting and waiting and waiting, and boom, the season's over, and they're not in the playoffs. And they had a few couple stretches where they won, like, five out of six. Or I legitimately thought they were going to make a run in late September and make the playoffs. Our last episode, like three months ago, <laughs> whenever we did it, we were saying our the title of the episode was Anything is Possible, and we are basically saying they have a decent shot at making the playoffs. Yeah, now look at it. We're, yeah, um, it did we're... not age well. <laughs> It's tough when I'm paying more attention to the Patriots, who I don't even like, <laughs> than the Red Sox, who I love with all my heart. But uh, that's kind of what you get. Yeah, I'm watching Netflix at night instead of watching the Red Sox. I'm playing chess with my brother at night instead of watching <laughs> the Red Sox. And that is something no man ever wants to do. The best moment of the Red Sox season 
was young Mike Yastrzemski hitting a home run in Fenway Park, and Mike Yastrzemski <laughs> isn't even on the Red Sox. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That, that's up there. Um, I'm also a little sad. We're looking at the uh, quotes on the wall, and I'm look, staring right at it's never over till it's over. And honestly, right now it's, it's over. over. <laughs> and that's really sad to think about because these quotes used to bring me hope and happiness, and now I'm just sad. Well, we're going to transition from a sad note to a happy note. We have former Red Sox pitcher Pat Light on this episode. He was an amazing guest, so let's send it over to that interview. Here you go. All right, I'm on the phone with Pat Light, former Red Sox reliever. Pat, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, man. Let's do this. So you made your major league debut with the Red Sox in Atlanta, I believe. Talk about what that was like, stepping on a big league mound for the first time with the Boston Red Sox. Uh, I mean, it's crazy, man. It's You know, you, you dream about that your whole life. Um, and then uh, you just hope to get a chance to any club, but then to get a chance with as storied of a franchise as the Boston Red Sox. I mean, it's, I mean, obviously a dream come true, but, uh, you know, it goes, it goes even greater than that when it's, when it's a team like the, like the Red Sox. So, uh, I mean, it was, it was an outrageous experience, a lot of fun, a lot of nervous, a lot of nerve wracking. I mean, a lot of nerves went into the, into it, but it was, it was awesome. Man. So when you first walked in to the clubhouse, who greeted you first? Was it anyone like David Ortiz or Justin Madroya? Or as a new guy, did they kind of just ignore you? How'd that work? <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I, it was probably, I, I want to say it was Matt Barnes. Uh, me and Matt were close when I was playing. Um, and, uh, you know, he was a year ahead of me, always kind of like a couple steps ahead of me. So, you know, anything that I was going through, he had been through the year pre- previous or two years previous. Um, so probably Matt Barnes. I, and I, I know I spoke to David David Ortiz and Dustin Pedroia and uh, – and yeah, obviously, like David Price, Rick Porcello, those guys I was close with because I was a pitcher. But um, you, you always you always look for the familiar face first, and, and, and Matty Barnes is probably my, the most familiar face I had in the locker room. And then when you first stepped on that mound and you threw your first pitch, what was that like? Was there a little extra adrenaline behind that one? Oh, definitely. Um, honestly, you're just you're just trying to you're out there and you're not you're competing. But in the beginning, you're kind of a little tentative, so you're just trying to get outs. Um, and then. Uh, once you get that first uh, that first pitch out of the way, now you kind of start locking in. Realize that you have a job to do out there, um, but it was you know it was definitely a, a different type of outing as far as what's going through your head out there and, and things like that. There's more that goes into your debut than just let me get out there and get us a win. It's more you know oh my god I'm here. You're looking up at you know you know fifty thousand people instead of you know ten thousand in AAA. So it's there's a lot more that goes into it. And now I got to bring this up. In your second game with the Red Sox against the Angels, you gave up six runs, two homers. Um, what was going through your head in that disaster of an inning? <laughs> uh, you know, nothing really. You're just trying to compete. You know, we already, we, the team was already getting crushed. Uh, it was quite the day for the Angels. Um, and it, was, <laughs> it wasn't great. You know, looking back on it, I probably threw my slider more than I should have. It's not, it was my third best pitch. Um, I probably should have leaned a little bit heavier on my on my splitter, uh, but um, you know, decided to go you know slider that day a little bit more, and I paid for it dearly. Uh, but uh, it was still a cool experience, you know. Looking back, you know, pitching at Fenway, you know, pitching in front of that many people, I think it was July second, if, if I remember correctly. Um, and, you know, pitching against Mike Trout, Albert Pujols, you know, it was an awesome experience. I wish it could have went better, but. Uh, you know, looking back on that, you know, there's definitely some adjustments I would have made when I was out there. And then after it happened, did any of the veterans in the clubhouse kind of come up to you and just tell you to shake it off? What was it like after? 
You know, now, you know, we've just gotten, you know, beat up pretty bad. So I think the veterans were kind of had enough to worry about than, than the young guy. But I remember being on the mound um, and Dustin Pedroia calling timeout and coming up to me uh, in the middle of the inning and was just kind of kind of watched me through and say, listen, man, you're throwing strikes. You're going after hitters. They're just hitting it right now, man. So um, don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you're doing. And, you know, that kind of calmed me down. I think I got out of the inning pretty quickly after after PD came in but did that. So um, that, that, was a, that was a big thing for me. Those are the only two games you pitched with the Red Sox. But what would you have to say was your highlight of your Red Sox career? Uh, I mean, you probably have to say that it was you know, my debut um, in Atlanta. I mean, again, it's two appearances, so there's not much to say. And obviously I was up there for, I think, maybe two and a half weeks, three weeks with the Red Sox in total. Um, but, you know, getting that call, you know, I actually did, I didn't debut, but I actually my first game was in Houston the day before. Uh, an extra innings game in Sunday Night Baseball. Um, and, uh, it, you know, just the experience of, of getting up there, you know, seeing some of the guys that, you know, you, you've looked up to in your childhood even because, you know, a lot of these guys have had long careers. Uh, and being able to play with those guys, being able to play with Dave Ortiz in his last year. Uh, I mean, there's, I could go on and on about, you know, a two-week span of playing with the Red Sox, you know, which is something to be said for that organization. So, um uh, you know, the, day, the the debut was definitely the highlight, but uh, you know, I could I could talk to you for hours about some of the stuff that I went through up there. So you're only 28 years old. Do you have any thoughts of maybe making a comeback in the majors? You know, probably not. Um, you know, last uh, you know my last year in baseball, I you know I could not throw a strike anymore. And it wasn't so much you know uh, you know you know mechanically or anything. I was just in my own head. Um, and there's a lot of stress that goes involved. And, you know, as, as anyone knows, the more stress you put on yourself on, in particular situations, probably the worse you're going to do. Uh, you need to be kind of not carefree, but, you know, focused and locked in. You start getting stressed, you start thinking about the wrong stuff. So, um, you know, my quality of life after baseball so far has been, has been really nice. Um, I do miss it. I, I would love to be able to be good again at the game. And if you told me on this podcast that, I'd go throw strikes again and not have to worry about walking a thousand people per inning. Then I I would probably hang up the phone right now and go play <laughs> some up. But uh, it, it wasn't in the cards for me, uh, uh, you know, those past couple of years. But you know, you never know. I, I won't rule, rule anything out because I still throw hard. So uh, you never know what could happen. Now starters, for the most part, know they're going to pitch every fifth day. How does a reliever's preparation work? Since you don't really know when you'll actually be pitching in a game. You know, you, you, honestly, I mean, you just get yourself ready for every day. Uh, it's kind of, kind of exhausting, but um, every day you, you put yourself through a little bit, you know, a little bit of a routine to kind of get yourself in the best possible position you can be to go pitch uh, that night. And then the biggest routine really is when you're in the bullpen. Um, you know, the, before the game, you, know, you, you, you throw a little bit, but that's pretty much it. You don't do too much. But in the bullpen, you know, whether you're Craig Campbell as a closer, you start getting yourself your body ready in the seventh inning or so. Or you're, when I was Boston's as Koji in the eighth inning, he starts getting ready in the sixth and fifth innings. Um, and then a guy like myself, uh, which is the majority of the bullpen are guys like myself, it's, you're, you're ready at any, at the, at the, at any time. Um, you know, every, you know, two or three innings or so, you're probably getting up and moving just to kind of keep the blood pumping. Um, but, uh, it's, it's, it's a difficult process to kind of learn, but once you get it, it's really not all that difficult to kind of get adjusted to the bullpen. Yeah. As you were talking about there, how do you keep yourself occupied on the bullpen? I know Joe Kelly used to flick sunflower seeds or whatever. What kind of stuff do you guys used to do out in the bullpen? 
I remember Matt Barnes being big on the sunflower seeds too. Him and Joe. Uh, I never was in the bullpen with Joe except for Triple A, but because uh, I think Joe was starting when I was in the big leagues with Boston. But uh, um, it, it's really what you did. I mean, he uh, Matt Barnes for whatever reason. Now, if you ever watch him, I don't know if he still does it. He wants to sit on that that freaking dugout uh, or that you know bullpen dugout area, and he just takes a bag of seeds and just tries to flick them over the fence onto the field. Um, for me, I just like to, to, to talk as much as I can. Not so much about the game. You know, if something happens important in the game, we, you know, we usually discuss it. But for the most part, you just kind of talk about normal things, you know, as if you're sitting at the dinner table with these guys and, and, and chat away because you don't want to think too much. At least I didn't. I didn't want to sit there and just analyze the game the whole time. Um, you end up getting too much thought into, into it. Um, I just try to relax through as much as I can to keep my body ready, but also to keep my mind in a position where I wasn't overthinking things. What about the interactions with the fans? Because especially in Boston, the bullpens are so close to the stands and the fans are very close to where you're sitting in the bullpen and warming up. What kind of stories do you have from fans around bullpens? Uh, you know, it's tough to, tough to say any real stories. I mean, I remember in Cleveland, uh, the fans are very similarly situated as they are in Boston where they're right on top of you. And that was probably the worst fan group I, I ever played with, played against. Uh, they, they they would torture you out there, um, but you know I think that the craziest thing we always talked about in the bullpen was that fans look at us like you know we're zoo animals. <laughs> you know, any anytime we get up from the dugout, you know we're going to get a drink of water. It's like all all hundred thousand of them are just staring at you, watching and whispering about what you're doing. And you're like, yeah, I'm just getting a glass of water, man. I don't, <laughs> you don't need to watch this. Um, but it's oh, we always found that intriguing, you know. How, you know, and I know kids look up to us. You know, I looked up to guys too when I was coming up. Um, and, but it's interesting; they're just they don't even watch the game sometimes. They're just watching us sit there and watch the game, which is was always an intriguing thought process to me. Um, but for the most part, fans are pretty positive out there. They just want to interact with you. They want to you know mess around a little bit with you. Um, and you, you run into some bad ones here and there, but for the most part, you know, you know, all the fans are pretty cool. Do you have any pregame rituals or superstitions before you go into a game or before the game even starts? Um, you know, I did when I was a starter. And you actually see that a lot more as, from starters than you do relievers um, because starters have, are so you know, routine-based uh, from day one, day two, day three, day four to pitch day. You know, they're so routine-based that you see a lot of rituals, you know, from those guys. Um, for myself, you know, I remember when I was in college, I, you know, as a starter, I would I'd have to have the same breakfast every day. I have to get up at the exact same time. I'd have to do all, you know, go to the field at the same time. I had to do all that stuff the same. But when I became a reliever, I kind of strayed away from that. Um, really, the only thing you'll see me do uh, or what I did, I don't do it anymore. But uh, I have a necklace that my uh, grandfather used to wear. And I used to, I would kiss it before, uh, uh, on the warning track before I'd run to the mound. Uh, and hope that hope the hell that that guy would help me out there. <laughs> uh, so uh, that's pretty much all I did. Uh, but you see some crazy stuff from some of these uh, other guys. Uh, uh, you know, I used to know you know guys that would that would you know you know have crazy crazy rituals. They kiss some dolls and stuff before they go out <laughs> there. So it's it's an interesting sport out there when you get into that clubhouse. Yeah. Speaking of uh, crazy stuff, everyone always talks about minor league baseball being this crazy grind and all these crazy stories from bus rides or hotels. Do you have any funny stories from your time in the minor leagues? Uh, I mean, I'm sure I do. Uh, thinking off the top of my head, um, honestly, you know, I don't know about, I mean, I'm sure I have crazy stories, and you know, but 
I mean, I mean, the biggest stuff was those bus rides. Uh, I mean, those were were brutal, brutal bus rides, man. I remember in AAA, you'd you'd finish a game at you know at eleven o'clock at night, ten thirty. You end up getting out of the ballpark at like twelve fifteen, and you don't get your six hour bus ride, so you do an overnight bus trip. And you know, there's a lot of big guys on these on these baseball teams. It is tough to sleep on those buses, man. Um, and I remember specifically, actually, here's a little bit of a story for you. I remember. Uh, in AAA and um, in Pawtucket, what happens is a lot of times we got to wait. Uh, we were sitting there and playing a waiting game, watching the Boston game. And if they need bullpen help the next day or they need an extra hitter the next day or whatever the case may be. So our game ends at 10 o'clock. And we have to sit down and watch the Red Sox game that had started at 7 as well. And see, but we had to wait for it to finish and to go into extra innings. We're there. It's like 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning waiting for this game to finish. And then at the when it's all said and done, no one got called up. <laughs> so we waited for two and a half hours for no one to get the call and then have to, like a seven and a half hour bus ride up to Buffalo uh, overnight, which was just was miserable. Um, but it's part of being in AAA. And you know, you're, honestly, you sit there. It's quick. You have two and a half hours of your life. You're sitting there just hoping that you're the one that gets the call. So um, you, get, you get a lot of those stories in the minor leagues. Where was the first moment where it really hit you that you're playing pro baseball right now? You know, I think it, it happens really when it's, it's tough to say. I think it hits me the most when you're at home, to be honest. Not at home, your home field, but your home back home with your friends. Because you kind of almost get numb to it when you're playing. You know, it's just part of it's part of the game. You know, the fans are there. You know, all that good stuff. But you're back home with your friends and everyone wants to hear all these stories. They want to talk to you about, Oh, what's this guy like? What's this guy like? And then you realize, you know, when you sit down and, th- and take it all in, you know, you realize how, how cool of a thing it was. Um, you know, and you stop, sometimes you see some players kind of get cynical towards it all. And, and, you know, they stop interacting with fans as much because they've had bad experiences. Uh, but you realize just how cool of an experience it was. And, you know, I get to tell my story of that. I mean, how many times have you heard me tell that angel story? Yeah, I mean, countless, countless. And you, I mean, yeah, I gave up, you know, thousand runs, you know, thirty-three <laughs> home runs. So I think a couple of them are probably still going. Um, and, but I got to say at the end of the day that Mike, I struck out Mike Trout, or I even I got the chance to pitch against Albert Pujols. You know, those were those are, are crazy things, and that's what you worked for your whole life. And I think when you get the time to kind of sit down and take it all in, that's when you kind of realize how cool uh, of a thing that you were able to do. Absolutely. So when you were drafted. You were signed with about a one million dollar signing bonus. So, what was your first big league purchase of sorts? You know, I was fortunate enough to come from a, a family. My, my dad was a fairly successful individual, um, so I was fortunate enough not to have to buy a car. My dad got me that when I was in high school. Um, I would say the the first purchase I made is we is kind of an investment type of place. We went to. I wanted to move to a cooler city. Actually, my sister did, and she kind of convinced me. Um, and we kind of, as an all, as a whole family, uh, bought a, an apartment um, up in Hoboken, New Jersey. And uh, it was, you know, it was supposed to be like a good investment. You know, obviously, real estate supposed to be a solid investment over the long period of time. So, did that, and uh, it was honestly, it was awesome. It still is. I, I'm sitting in that apartment right now. Uh, and it's, it's, you know, now I've started a life here after baseball. I bought a restaurant. I'm hopeful to buy a second one here soon. Um, so that was probably my, my big, my first big purchase. And it was not a cheap one. Let me tell you, it, it, it hurts the old bank account. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell us about that restaurant. What are you doing with that? And how has that been as a career after baseball? 
So far, it's been pretty cool. I mean, uh, I in my off seasons, I was you know I spent a lot of time at, at restaurants, and uh, I met some really good friends, and a lot of them were the bar owners in town. Um, and you know, you know, I happened to be super close with one of them, and he he was you know turned out to be really good at what he did. Thank God. Um, and you know, I actually got released by the marriage a couple weeks later. Um, he gave me a call and was like, "Hey, listen, I heard you're home." Would you mind uh, meeting up? I would like to talk to you about this restaurant I want to do. And it ended up being this sushi restaurant, which, fun fact, I opened a sushi restaurant with him. I never, I never had sushi in my life. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's been cool, man. You learn a lot. And it's amazing how much I've learned. You know, we were open last, the, last November, and it's amazing how much I've learned so far. Um, but it's a cool life. It's, it's a little bit challenging. It's kind of like baseball where there's something different each day. It's not your typical, like, nine to five. You never really know what you're going to get. And the more effort you put into it, the more money you make, which is something I, I enjoy doing. So uh, it's, it's been a cool, it's been a cool gig, obviously, and I'm trying to buy a second one. So obviously, I'm liking it. So yeah, that's awesome. So as a former Major League Baseball player, people on MLB Network, all these former players, talk about how they watch baseball games differently. Do you agree with that? Do you think you watch baseball games differently because you actually played there and you know what's going through the players' minds when you watch the game? Yeah, yeah, I do actually. I think that's that's very accurate. Um, you know, I think you know, you, you obviously you know more just because you went through it, so you know exactly what was going through your mind at this at that when you when something like this was going on when you were pitching or playing. Um, I remember I was watching a game um, with the, with the Red Sox, and one guy was pitching, and he was he was struggling, man. He was not doing well, and. Uh, I, you just feel it. You can just, you can sense it that this guy was kind of, you know, treading water here. And all of a sudden I was like, I, I was like, I guarantee this guy gets a hold of this next pitch because it's going to be right down the middle because this guy can't afford to throw a ball and he's not going to throw it with conviction because he's terrified right now out there. He just wants to get out of the inning. So it's going to be a fat, flat fastball. And then this guy's going to be ready for it. And sure enough, the next, the, the next pitch, the guy hit a home run. And I mean, that doesn't happen all the time. You know, sometimes the guy misses it, pops out, and stuff like that. I'm not saying I can predict home runs. But you get a feel for what's going on in the game a lot better because you went through it yourself. Um, and it's those people, the Mike Trouts of the world. It's the Chris Sales of the world. These guys that, you know, I can't predict what's going to happen because those guys are freaks. They don't think the way even the average big leaguer does. Um, and they're able to push through those things. Um, and when I'm kind of trembling and, and, you know, treading water, they're still, they still have a fire lit under their ass and they're ready to throw this at 98, you know, on the black. And it's a different mindset. And that's what separates the guy who played for two months like myself and the guy who plays for 10 years. So my last question before I let you go, when you are watching MLB games, who do you root for? Like, do you root for the Red Sox or the Twins because you played for them? Or since you played for teams, is it more just like a general, you just root for baseball in general and the best storylines i mean yeah i love the, you gotta love the best storyline um i definitely am a full-fledged red sox fan um i have i mean i have you know most of the guys i play with are still there um they you know drafted me they made my dream come true as a big leaguer um you know i got a real soft spot for them uh and i actually have a soft spot for the twins which is tough because they're playing each other right now yeah um but uh you know i i love baseball I love watching it. I love what goes into it. I love the country music that everyone loves playing during baseball games. You know, I love the, the beers people drink. You know, it's 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 just a it's a great game. Um, so I, I honestly, you know, love a good storyline. I love the Brewers out there in National League. They they seem to be a good club that you know fights hard. You like those small market teams competing every now and again. Um, 
but you know, I could sit down and watch any real baseball game and, and really enjoy it. Well, thank you, Pat, so much for joining me. I appreciate it, man. I, I know it took me a while to get to this, and I, I apologize for that, but I, I look forward to hopefully being on this podcast uh, more and more as, as the years go on. Definitely. There you have it, Pat Light. Great interview with him. Big thanks to him for coming on the podcast. Glad we could finally find time to do it. Um, he's amazing. It was just a great interview overall. He's a great person. Okay, now let's talk about the biggest news in the time between recording podcasts. Dave Dombrowski is no longer with the Red Sox. They fired him. Hallelujah. I did. I honestly did not see this coming. I wanted him to get fired, but I didn't think the Red Sox would actually do it. The fact that they actually fired him, and they fired him before the season ended, that really showed that they wanted to take this organization in a slightly different direction. I think... The Red Sox are going to be a different team moving forward. They're not going to be the Dave Dombrowski, highest payroll in baseball, just pay players to win, trade all your prospects for players to win. They're going to be more, they're going to try to rebuild the farm system. They're going to try to replenish their team. As Joey said a couple episodes ago, they're going to try to retool. They're not going to rebuild, but they're going to retool their team, try to get some depth in the farm system, get some good prospects not be the worst farm system in baseball anymore. They're still going to try to win, but they're not going to be, like I said, the huge payroll winning team that Dave Dombrowski created them to be. Right. Um, What I find really interesting about the firing is how they went about it. Yes. It was very under the radar, very quiet. They went about it in a way where they tactically went, they tactically did it on a Sunday night at like midnight or something, right after a big Patriots win. And then they had David Ortiz come out the next day to the park and throw out the first pitch. It was really strange that they kind of just brushed it over, like brush it under the rug. I wouldn't have expected that from, from what I think is a very like straightforward and honest organization. Yeah. They denied all claims about trying to bury it, but it really, really seemed like they tried to bury it. So like you said, they did it at 12 in the morning after midnight. They did it on a Sunday night after a big Patriots win. And they didn't hold a press conference at all for it, which I found crazy. I mean, I guess it makes sense because there's not much to say. Like, it's going to be awkward to just have him there after you fired him and talk about it. But the fact that they barely even addressed this, released a statement, no press conferences. The people answering questions weren't Sam Kennedy, Tom Warner. I think it was like Ryan Brazier was answering questions about it, Xander Bogarts. I mean, there were players that were answering questions about this for no reason. They had Alex Cora sit in front of all the press and answer questions about Dave Dombrowski for like 20 minutes. He had no part in that. And he likes Dave Dombrowski. He said that he was shocked that they fired him. And he said that this was a guy that gave him a chance to come here and be a big league manager. He obviously liked Dave Dombrowski. And the fact that he had to be the main guy answering questions about his firing just wasn't right. It seems crazy to me that they would fire him before the season ended anyway because I I don't know really what advantage you would get there. Maybe you guys know something I don't, but is is it almost a statement thing just to kind of say, like, we we made a mistake not releasing you earlier, releasing, firing you earlier than we did. This is our way of telling Red Sox Nation that we're sorry. I I don't really get it. Like, the season's almost over. Were they, They were pretty much out at the time. It was right after they were 
they got beat by the Yankees pretty badly, and they were out of it. Yeah, it was in that time where you would have to be insane to think the Red Sox really had a chance yeah. at anything, and it just seems crazy that they would just fire him. I don't know. It, to add that turmoil to the team or that drama to the team right before the season ending seems a little odd. Yeah, I agree. I don't understand. Like, you would think it would be a statement. That is why they would do it. But the fact that they did try to cover it up shows that maybe it wasn't a statement. The only thing I can think of, though, is they did it to show that they're disappointed in, disappointed in how this season went, and that was kind of their way of showing it. Um I mean, it doesn't really matter. I guess if you fire him now or, or later at the end of the season, if you still plan on firing him, there's not really a sense in waiting. I, I don't really know. It was weird timing to me. So, I mean, I want to th- I want to look at this from, like, a player's perspective. Like, how do you think the guys that, like, Dave Dombrowski personally got to bring over, like, he traded for Chris Sale, he signed J.D. Martinez. Like, how do you think those kinds of guys who – signed here because of the persuasion of Dave Dombrowski feel about the fact that the guy that like one of the guys that they came here like to play for one of the guys that like they founded their love for Red Sox nation on was just released or fired at the middle of the night with like no conceivable warning from any sources. I just think it's bizarre. And I think the players probably have been more focused on that than actually playing baseball that's not to excuse their bad play. I think it's just it's it's tough to play well and like focus when your executive has just gotten fired. Yeah, you could definitely tell that it killed their vibe the way they've been playing lately. I don't know how firing your manager I mean, I guess I could say at all, but even when the season hasn't even ended yet, um comes back to people signing with you, you know, signing with you for the next season. Not your manager, excuse me, your uh what, GM president, president baseball you, ops, you, yeah. you know what I mean um, the guy who writes the paycheck whatever um, I don't know how that influences people wanting to sign wanting to play for the Red Sox in the future because I know from personal experience when you're playing on a team and you worry about like coaching staffs or worrying about like what's going to happen with this side or the other thing it's kind of tough to get excited for an upcoming season well, my perspective is that there must have been something besides the money that Dave Dombrowski offered them that made them want to come to play for the Red Sox. I mean, obviously, in Chris Sale's case, it's not exactly the same. Like, they traded for him. But for someone like J.D., there must have been something outside of just the coaching staff and the players that excited him about being in Boston that Dave Dombrowski must have presented to him. Because when you come down to it, Dave Dombrowski really he goes after the big fish in the market. He really, like tries to go after the big names like not necessarily pitchers but he goes after the hitters and I mean there's definitely got to be an aspect of persuasion in there and I feel like you're not good at persuading people to join what like your cause if you don't love where you're at and like love the team that you're on so I mean for Dave Dombrowski this also must have been a shock like again not justifying what he's done like he he has ran the bullpen into the ground and he has put us in a little bit of a hole for the foreseeable future not that we can't rebound from it but for someone who probably really enjoyed being a part of the Red Sox organization, it was probably kind of a shock, especially with the lack of warning. To me, there's no doubt in my mind that Dave Dombrowski is good at his job, and I look back at his time in Boston only positively. I don't, like, I, his bullpen's bad, but yes, it's his fault, but I don't really blame him. Like, he did exactly what we brought him in here to do. He did exactly what we expected him to do. He got us 
J.D. Martinez. He extended Xander Bogars. He traded for Chris Sale. He got all these guys, and he got us, ultimately, the World Series win, which is what he was brought here to do. And, I mean, you can't be mad at him for doing that. That's what we wanted. The whole point of the game is to build up a team to win the World Series, and that's exactly what he did. It was just his time to move on. It was time for the Red Sox to move on to someone else who can maintain this young core, keep guys like Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, Andrew Benintendi, all these guys here for a long time. We don't need a Dave Dombrowski to get us all-star players and build up our team because we already have that. He already did that. So now it's time for someone to move on to a different kind of approach to the organization. I think maybe the more I think about how they released him, the timing, kind of the circumstance, maybe there's something we don't really know. They probably had like a staff meeting, a team meeting. Um, I think Dave Dombrowski's probably ready to move on too. Um, he seemed pretty upset that he was let go, and he seemed surprised. I, it was surprising to me so? that he seemed surprised. He said he yeah. was surprised. Okay, because that, that makes more sense. I was just trying to think about how – like. I, we're going to release you at the end of the season. We think you've did poorly on this, that, or the other thing. And he's like, all right, whatever, just release me now. I kind of, that seems like the most logical explanation. Um, but the thing that I find I interesting is there were reports that kept coming out that multiple times throughout the season, he kept asking ownership for a contract extension. So he had intentions to be here longer and keep working with this team. And the Red Sox just, they didn't have the same thing in mind. And it's the last year of his contract next year, so there's no point in letting him ride that out if they don't plan on keeping him after that, so why not just fire him now, especially with how important this upcoming offseason is going to be. Because you have J.D. Martinez who could potentially opt out. You have Mookie Betts who could be a trade piece. You have all these free agents, um, Rick Porcello, Mitch Moreland, Brock Holt, all these guys. You have a bullpen that you need to rebuild so it's a big, big, big offseason, and you don't want a general manager or president of baseball operations leading your team that you don't want there longer term after that. So I think it definitely, I don't know about midnight on a Sunday night in August or September as the right time to do it, but I think before this offseason was a good time to do it. I would agree with that. I mean, I think it's really important that they get someone in there who hasn't tried to talk to Mookie or talk to JD about staying because clearly whatever they've been doing hasn't worked. They, they need someone with a fresh take, someone who knows what they're supposed to do and re-sign and make sure that they both come back because they're very core pieces to this team. If they do not retain them because potentially maybe Dombrowski's being cheap or he just doesn't want to, that's now avoided because Dombrowski is gone. If Dombrowski's gone and someone else is brought in with priorities in mind of rebuilding the bullpen, making sure that everyone is healthy and conditioned and up-to-date, and keeping the people that we need to keep in order to keep this team moving in the right direction, then there's no way that this move can't be positive for the Red Sox. I mean, even if the, even if the new president only fixes one of those few things, it's still an improvement over what we would have probably gotten from Dave Dombrowski. They've already shown through small moves they've made in the front office, that they definitely want to go towards a more of a um, draft and rebuild the farm system approach. Because right now, they promoted, I think, three or four different guys to take over Dave Dombrowski's role temporarily. 
Um, Zach Scott, who was interviewed on the podcast, Eddie Romero, who's the top choice to take over as GM. He's he's uh, he has experience in amateur scouting and drafts, so he would be he's my top choice to take over as GM. And then Brian O'Halloran. Um, so they definitely definitely want to get a good farm system again. And I think John Henry wants to bring that payroll down a little bit because it is is really really high. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Um. I also think that like. I don't know if this is a thing in baseball. If they have like kind of a president by committee or someone that like, now hear me out on this because Garrett's laughing at me. If someone like you have someone who's the president, but you have people that like help him with his job so that he's not forced to do everything. Cause I feel like Dave Dombrowski was kind of like put in the position where he was doing everything that had to do with the Red Sox, like he was making all the big moves and stuff. Obviously, he was getting input from other players, but nobody really had like that. Like it wasn't like a majority rules thing. I feel like Dombrowski kind of just did what he wanted to at the end of the day. Well, that's another thing too. I feel like Dave Dombrowski, I know there's a lot of arguments against this from him, but he wasn't really into the whole advanced statistics thing that baseball is trending towards. He was more of an old school guy. So I feel like that's another good reason to get rid of him and bring in someone new who's more... Um, knowledgeable and advanced statistics because that's what baseball is becoming at this point. I mean, look at the Rays. They don't necessarily have a great all-star roster of players, but they're going to be in the wild card. They're in second place right now because of all their advanced analytics. Same thing with the Astros. I mean, they obviously have talented players, but they got there because of advanced statistics. So I think that is a good direction for the organization to trend towards. But, I mean, ultimately... I, I thank Dave Dombrowski for what he did. He got us the World Series. He did great stuff in Boston. It was just his time to go and time to bring in someone new. I would agree with that. Um, let's let's move on to some listener questions now. We haven't done these in a Hell while. Hell yeah. Let's do it. Starting off with our favorite listener. The Vooch. Vooch. Free agents you want this team to get. It's a pretty bad class this year, honestly. There's not many good guys out there. I think the biggest thing for me is maintain J.D. Martinez. J.D. Martinez is so valuable to this team, not only what he does at the plate, but he's also basically a second-hitting coach. What he does for guys like Rafael Devers and Xander Bogarts and Mookie Betts, he is another hitting coach, and he has a crazy offensive mindset. So I think he is a huge piece in this team that you need to maintain people always ask me like who would you rather have Mookie Betts or JD Martinez I mean Mookie Betts obviously is like a MVP type of player but I think I'm more okay with letting Mookie go because of how much money he's going to be asking for and how the free agent market for him is just going to be crazy I'm more I tend more to think JD Martinez just because like I said he's like another hitting coach and He's just so valuable to the team. Well, and the other thing is, is he's a veteran leader. Yes. He works his butt off to get better every single year. His numbers don't always show up, but he's always trying to get better. He stays relatively healthy for the most part. And he's just a good clubhouse energy guy. He's not someone who, like, he's not like a Marshawn Lynch kind of guy with the media. He's not someone that you just, like, don't want to, like, have on your team because he's just, just the worst kind of personality. But... 
yeah, I mean, I think priority one is keeping uh, JD. Priority two, maybe building the bullpen through smaller trades. And everyone keeps saying JD is having an off year, saying he's not doing that well. He's batting above 300 with 35 homers and 100 RBIs. That's an off year for him. That just shows how good he is and how high his own expectations for himself are. Yeah, but that's pretty insane. I, I love having him on this team. It's fun to root for. Next question. Um, this one from Garrett Jacobsmeyer just says, you ugly. <laughs> I'll let you take that one. Um, you know, I, I do get that from some people. I don't know who you is in this context, but I guess because <laughs> I'm reading the question, that might be me. Um, you know what, man? If you're really so insecure about yourself that you have to call other people ugly to make yourself feel better, I'm just going to let you live your life. <laughs> anyway, uh, next question. Uh, Chase Walling, 84. Pat's going 19-0. Yep. No doubt about it. All right. Well, that's... No, they're not. Their defense. There's no better defense in the NFL. I mean, they, they're they not going 19-0. They're going to uh, lose to the Cowboys in Week 12 in the Battle of Undefeated Teams. Yeah. Okay. Watch. Sure. Anyway, uh, Tech Tigers 99, who will we be trying to get for next season? Um, I think the biggest priority for us is pitching, rotation, and bullpen. We'll probably have Rick Porcello leave, so we're going to need to fill his spot in the rotation. Plus, we could use another good starter. And then the bullpen, obviously, we need to find either a closer, another setup guy, someone who can be reliable in the back end of games so I think pitching is definitely the main priority for this team because obviously offense is not our problem this season that was not our problem it's pitching so we need to rebuild our pitching okay um talk about mathematically eliminated from the postseason I mean it's math can't argue with it it's just sad (laughs) sad life um that was from instagrams with the grams but like the cracker Um, all right or the name or the name. <laughs> um, 1800.411.pain says hi. Hey. <laughs> Nick.5567 says, who will have the most trouble in the socks doing 10 push-ups? Uh, I want to say Chris Sale because he's so thin, but I feel like he's just insane. He could definitely just bang out like 200 push-ups. Probably. Um. Ooh, that's a tough one. It's got to be some, a pro. Oh, Josh Smith. He's just bad at everything. Next that's question. That's fair. Um, Mitch Moreland would have the least trouble. Um, H. Clark824 asks, if you had to choose Mookie or JD, Mookie opt, excuse me, Mookie for one more year or JD to opt in? Yeah, so we kind of talked about this a little bit, but the way that they phrased it, Mookie for one more year, I feel like there's no purpose in having him for that one year if he's just going to leave. So like I said in past episodes, I think the best option is to trade him. And I know it sounds crazy. Let's trade our MVP player. But think about the value that you can get for him and how bad our farm system is. We can get a high-level prospect for him, a solid starter, and then probably another like up-there prospect, maybe even more. It's like It's crazy the possibility of what we could possibly get for him. And J.D. Martinez... I think if he opts in, then we have him for multiple years. And like I said before, his value to the team is just so mu- so valuable. So if I had to pick between the two, I would say JD opting in or signing a new deal with the Red Sox over Mookie Betts staying one more year and then leaving. But, I mean, 
if Mookie Betts somehow works out an extension with the Red Sox for like 10, 12 years, I would probably pick that just because he is the face of the franchise. I mean, that's tough. I really wish we could just keep them both. I mean, they're good players. Let's keep good players. I don't really understand why we can't keep them both. I'd rather get rid of guys like Rick Porcello, Jackie Bradley Jr., all these guys with big contracts. J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts are players you should build around, along with Xander Bogarts, Rafael Devers, Andrew Benintendi, Eduardo Rodriguez. You should build around your good players, not try to trade them away. But We can't keep them because we don't have the money. Because we Just, have money locked up in albatross contracts for bad players like um, Pablo Sandoval. Start a t-shirt company. <laughs> Hanley Ramirez. Um, Pablo Sandoval is off the books this offseason. But is Ruzne Castillo? I think Castillo? we should have a party. Is Ruzne Castillo? No, uh, no but mm. yes, Gary. <laughs> Why do you raise your hand? I used to have something intelligent to say. Can I say it? Uh, yeah, I guess. Um, in sports, you have deals and you have moves that define a team for the next decade or even more. Something like trading Mookie Betts is one of those things. It's one of those make-or-break kind of deals. It's one of those, um, what you know, Jerry Jones when he first comes trading away whatever that running back is. I don't know. I was dead. I was. I wasn't alive. Um, I can't claim those Super Bowls anyway. I was alive. But he traded away that running back, got all those picks, and they won three Super Bowls. It's whatever. Red Sox podcast. Um, but those are the kind of deals in sports that matter, and those are the kind of deals in sports that define teams forever. You're absolutely right. Whatever we do with Mookie Betts will define this Red Sox franchise for 10, 15 years to come. So here's a question. If we do trade him, where in the league would you want him to go? I personally, Not the AL. <laughs> yeah, I personally want him as far away from us as possible. Yeah. Stick him in, like, San Francisco. Yeah, Atlanta. It's my choice. No, because then they'd be insane. Well, yeah, but they're still in the NL, and they're my second favorite team, so I can still enjoy watching him. Yeah, but like, it's we, like we this don't, off we, season. I am scared for this. I'm stressed. What they do with this team in this off season is going to be huge. Like Garrett said, it's going to define our franchise for many years to come. We will be either celebrating or doing another podcast like this where we're <laughs> sad. So yeah. One thing I want to mention, um, Eduardo Rodriguez is going for 20 wins on the season. He's pitching tonight. He could possibly get his 19th win if he wins tonight. And I really appreciate how Alex Cora put out a real lineup, like a lineup they would put out in July when they were still kind of in it. I appreciate that because he wants Eduardo Rodriguez to get 20 wins. This is a big milestone for him and the team. So he has... One more start after tonight's start. If he wins both those starts, he can get 20 wins. His last start is the last game of the season. Like I said, 3 o'clock on that Sunday against the Orioles. I feel like he should win that one. Tonight is the only question just because they're on the road and there's a lot riding on this for him. I really, really, really hope that he wins both those games. I feel like he'll probably pitch well enough to win both. Of them. Whether or not the bullpen blows it or the offense scores enough runs, that's yet to be told, but... It would be awesome for Eduardo Rodriguez to get 20 wins this season. That'd be a little bright spot in what has been a pretty terrible season overall. And if you want to go see Eduardo Rodriguez pitch in that final game of the season against the Orioles, or really any other baseball game or football game or any hockey, hockey's starting soon. We were just talking about Hell that. Hell yeah. Let's go, bees. If you want to go to a sporting event 
or if you want to go to a concert or a show and you like saving money, SeatGeek is the best place for you because they are the best ticket provider out there for all sports, concerts, shows, and more. They make buying tickets easy by grading every ticket price so you know you're getting the best deal, and they provide a view from your seat so you can pick the perfect seats to any event. Plus, you can get $20 off your first purchase with SeatGeek by using the promo code DUGOUT. We might try to get out to that uh, 3 o'clock game. I, I don't think the tickets would be that expensive. We'll do our best. We'll, yeah. see, we'll see what we can do. Also get you to your first Bruins game. Yeah, I have not been to a Bruins game. We got to get on that. But it's 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 sick. It'll be hey, fun. Hey, listeners, if you want to fund this trip, feel free. <laughs> <laughs> um, Real quick, just want to say sorry. We have not done an episode in a long time. Uh, we haven't done it since the beginning of September. In the time between episodes, Antonio Brown has been signed and released by the Patriots. Uh, in the time between episodes, Dave Nabreski has been fired. In the time between episodes, the Red Sox have gone from five games out of the wild card to out of everything. So our next episode is going to be a big one, though. End of the season episode, we're going to be doing Red Sox awards and revisiting our preseason predictions. You won't want to miss that. It's going to be a great episode. Oh, I don't want to revisit my preseason predictions. I I had I had one good one, and the rest were pretty bad. I've already been getting roasted in your comment section for my preseason oh, yeah. predictions. The past month or so, Yankees fans, or I don't even know, like Rays fans or something, they've been coming to that one post that I posted at the beginning of the season for final 2019 predictions where people just put their predictions. They have been coming. They've been commenting the clown emojis, which I know Garrett loves. They <laughs> if you're that uncreative just to comment a gooding emoji, honestly, get off the internet. It's insane. You let Apple, who Apple turned the gun emoji to a squirt gun, you let that company choose your entire argument for you. Your entire argument is clown emoji. Oh, you're great. Well... When you don't put yourself out there, you just go and criticize other people. This is like that stupid listener question, Garrett Jacobs, just criticizing other people when he doesn't put himself out there. You know, it's not right. Clown emoji. Great. Hilarious. If you're going to say, you know, your take really wasn't good. I think in the future, you should revise your takes because these ones were bad. You can even say these ones were garbage. That's a good argument. Clown emoji is not. I rest my case. And that's our podcast for this week. Tune in next week for that award show. Um... Thanks for listening, and big thanks to Pat Light for coming on the episode. I hope you enjoyed that interview. See you next week. Baseball is just, like, good, man. Except for the Red Sox right now. It's just bad. You know what else is good? Pat Light interview. There you go. Just say that. You're done.